don't usually do book studies, but I, I, I felt like I really should go into or dive into, no pun intended, the book of Jonah. Jonah is a book that's unique among the 12 minor prophets of the Old Testament because it's, it's typically when you have um, a prophet, it, it discusses what the prophet spoke and what he preached. But Jonah is a little different. Uh, it tells the story of, of Jonah. And so the whole book of Jonah is literally unfolding his story. So it's not necessarily what he preached because what he preached was just a couple of words. You'll see that in a little bit. It was more about his life. It's just interesting. And so often people don't understand what a prophet is. A prophet uh, is not what we see today as a preacher. A prophet during the period of time of Scripture was one that received a message from God uh, mainly concerning what was about to come, what was about to take place in the future. And then he would convey that message to one individual or a number of individuals, like a nation. That was his job. I mean, he had a one-on-one -on -one conversation with God himself. Now, anybody tells you they're a prophet, they're probably lying. There ain't no prophets. Prophecy's already been revealed. Now we're just watching it come to pass. It's in Scripture. It's written. And so we got this responsibility as preachers to give the word, but we're not prophets. But Jonah, as a prophet, was uniquely different from the average biblical prophet because Jonah was nasty. <laughs> he was a rebel. He was different altogether. And there's only one other time we, we see the name of Jonah mentioned in the Old Testament. It was during that period of time that uh, Jeroboam II was reigning as king, and he went before the king, and he prophesied for the king, and he said, you're going to win the war. And by the way, Jeroboam II was not a good king. He was probably the worst king in Israel's history. And so he says to the king, you're going to win the war. Not only that, the northern border, you're going to gain it all back. All that territory is yours. You're good to go. And then Amos comes along, which is another prophet that has his head screwed on, right? And he says, no, that's not true at all. You got it all backwards. And God flipped the script on the prophecy and said, you're going to lose the war. And not only are you going to lose the war, but you're not going to get any of the northern border. That territory is gone. And because you're a nasty, horrible king, I added that part, but that's really the reason why. He was a nasty, horrible king. And so you read the history of Jonah, and you begin to question his character, even going back to Jeroboam II. I mean, the guy just doesn't have a whole lot going on for him. And so when you dive into Jonah, the book of Jonah, we begin to see why Jonah made the decision he made. And so from the very start, we start to look at his character and learn from it. So we're going to learn together how Jonah is much like us. In the book of Jonah, uh, it's a very distinct narrative. It has this unique style that's like a satire. And what I mean by that is you've got so many weird, unique situations that are transpiring. Now picture this. First, you start off with a prophet, a God-ordained man, picked by God to do something profound, but he rebels against God. And then you have a storm that takes place because of an angry God. And then through that, we see these sailors that were on the ship with Jonah that were pagans. They worshiped a false God, literally repent of their ways, and they convert to become Christians, if you would, the be believers. At that time, the word Christian wasn't used, but the followers of Christ. And then you see a really profound situation take place, this sea creature that's just called a giant fish that literally after Jonah's thrown off the ship, swallows, 
swallows up Jonah, right? Y'all follow me? And then he's in the belly of what we believe is a whale for three days, and then he spews him up on land. And it just gets crazier because now he's in Nineveh. He preaches the word, the few words that he gave, and then this, this incredible a uh, uh, king that has so much authority and, and is so, so much wrath toward others repents to the point that he puts on sackcloth and ashes on his head. Sackcloth, sackcloth would be very uncomfortable, I imagine, but he was willing to go that extra step to make a point physically, outwardly, that I'm getting right inwardly. And the people repent. And not only that, the Bible says the cows repent. Now, I don't understand all that, but we'll get into that next week. But the point is, it's a beautiful narrative that takes place in four chapters, four chapters and around 48 verses, all wrapped up around Jonah's life. Y'all still with me? Yes, sir. We just covered it all. Let's go home, right? <laughs> no, we can't. Some of you are like, yes, that sounds good to me. Well, it's not going to happen, okay? So this beautiful portion of scripture can be broken up into two segments. We have the first two chapters and the second two chapters. The first two chapters, I believe, look at uh, focus on Jonah, the man on the run. And that could be focused on the rebellion and his reflection, not the reflection in the mirror, but the reflection and memory of his life. The next two chapters, which is chapter three and four, I believe is Jonah, the man on the mission, which is focused on the city. The city's repentance and the city's restoration. And mixed in there is Jonah's uh, resentment toward the city. Like I said, he's just a unique prophet, and he never really gets right with God. He's angry and upset that God would spare these people. He wanted to see blood. He wanted to see them put to death. And there's a reason why. In a few minutes, we'll see that. So the book opens in chapter 1 and verse 1. Am I, everybody still with me? Yes, sir. Yeah. Trying to move it along, all right? So chapter 1 and verse 1, we see the opening of this story of Jonah. And Jonah is given a commission by God to go to Nineveh and preach to so, so that the people have an opportunity to repent of their ways because they're awful, horrible people, and God was going to destroy their land. So we begin with this very beginning of the story in Jonah chapter 1 and verse 1, and we see Jonah's rebellion. And Jonah's rebellion takes place because Jonah chose to do the opposite of what God said. So in Jonah chapter 1 and verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah saying, arise and go to Nineveh. It's a great city. It's a huge city. And, 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 I, and I want you to preach to them because their wickedness is ever before me. Now, I'm paraphrasing. The reality is this city is the, is the capital of Assyria. It's a powerful city, and they're a wicked city. And what I want to do with this city is destroy them unless they repent of their ways. But Jonah did the opposite in verse 3. He rose up, but he didn't go there. He went to Tarshish, and, and he made a decision to go the opposite way, to run from the will of God. And so now the story begins to unfold with his rebellion. Before he got there, he went to Joppa. And that's the port where he's going to get on the ship. And he goes into the bottom of the ship, and he begins to settle in. And then he's going to set sail. Now, let me say this about rebellion. Rebellion always comes from a selfish decision to do as we please instead of what God wants. You know, and that's exactly what Jonah did. Jonah told God, uh, excuse me, God told Jonah to go to Nineveh. And then Jonah made this profound decision that I'd rather go my direction than the direction you've asked me to go. Now, that's interesting because when you look at the map and see where Joppa is, if he would have gone on the ship and went to Nineveh, it would have only been about 250 miles by ship. 
But instead, he chose to go the opposite direction. Uh, and in that direction was Tarshish, and that was about 2,500 miles. Y'all with me? Isn't it amazing that we think disobeying God is easier than obeying God? 2,500 miles I'd rather go than do the will of God, which is only 250 miles that way. Y'all follow me? We do it too. It's called rebellion. As humans, we like to rebel against authority, especially the authority of God. And so I know in my own life that I'm sometimes either running from something or to something, and the truth is you are too. And the most horrific thing we could ever do is to be running from the will of God. Now, obviously, Jonah is a prophet. He walked with God. He's talked with God. He knows God. He knows God is omnipresent. So the idea, the idea to run from the presence of God is ludicrous. He knew that's not possible. But running from the presence of God, which is written in Scripture, simply means running from the will of God. And so that rebellion is just all up in him because he is sick and tired of this idea that he needs to be the preacher that goes to the city to save these horrific, horrible people. I am not going to intervene for you, God. So let me pause here. The question is why? Why do we run? Why do we do what we do? When we know what is right and we know what is right when we do what's right is easier. Y'all still with me? What is wrong with us? Seriously, why do I do that? And I can get up in the morning and say, I am not going to do that. And I just am, I'm just like Jonah. I go to Joppa and I get on my boat and go my way. Now stay with me. Don't lose me here because I want you to see this. Here's the reality of what's taking place. There had to be a reason why Jonah didn't want to go. And some believe, historians believe, it's because Assyria was so awful. These were wicked, horrible people. And Nineveh was the capital, and a lot of what was taking place was happening in Nineveh. They would not just capture a city, which they did capture a lot of cities and put people into slavery, but they took it a step further. They, they took over Egypt, and they expanded their empire, but they would not just do that. They would kill those on the way, but before they'd kill them, they'd make an example of them. So they would torture them. They were the, some of the first people we've ever seen in history that would skin people alive. The Nazis weren't doing it before they were doing it. These people created that process of torture. Now watch this. They would go a step further. They would take the heads of their enemies off, put them on a pole, and line the streets of their city. To prove a point, we will not tolerate enemies. We will make an example of you. And if you are not a part of our city, you are not one of us. And so you will end up on the pole like the rest of them. And so obviously, if you're Jonah, you're thinking, what? Why would I be going there to preach the gospel? You don't even walk in the city unless you're one of them. And so obviously, this could have been a possibility, but I do not believe it is. I believe the rebellion of Jonah was because of chapter 4, which is the last chapter in the book of Jonah. He reveals his true colors. If you're still focused, here's where we're going with this. He hated the people. He was a racist. He despised Nineveh because they were so vicious. He hated them, and he didn't want them spared. And so if he was the messenger and he preached the truth, he knew in the back of his mind there's a good chance they're going to repent because God wouldn't step out like he is, giving them a chance if there wasn't a chance. So he's thinking, I'd rather run than give them an opportunity to repent. So if I can stay gone long enough, then God's going to make his move and destroy them because nobody gave them the message to repent. Y'all following me? This is rebellion. Rebellion. 
This is anger. I've been angry with some people. I have. I've been so angry with people, I didn't want mercy to be shown to those people. But can you imagine being so ruthless and angry and rebellious against God that you'd rather turn your back on the salvation of God? To, to, to turn your back on the ability to give somebody the truth? Um, Jonah was that man. Jonah was an angry man. And so here's what happens with rebellion. Rebellion creates two things. It, 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 it creates carnality and consequences. And both took place in the life of Jonah. You see this carnality creeping in. So if you look at Jonah chapter 1 and verse 4, the Lord sent this great wind into the sea. It's a storm. A tremendous storm happens. Why Jonah is in the center and the bottom of this, uh, this ship. He's asleep. And so the storm is raging. This the other day, we've had numerous storms that rolled through. I was looking out the window at this tree that's rotten in my front yard. It's a massive tree. And my wife was in the office with me, and I'm looking out the window, and I'm talking to her. I didn't know she left the office, so I was just talking to myself for the next five minutes. And I said, babe, I believe today that tree is going to fall. And she wasn't even there to hear my prophecy. And, and at that moment, the tree started to fall, one limb after another. And the limbs are as big as trees because it was rotten inside. The storm was just tremendous. The storm in this passage of Scripture is the same. This raging sea and the ship is falling apart. So everybody's freaking out, right? And so we see what takes place next, that the sailors in verse 5 of chapter 1 are so afraid, they're crying out to their gods. Everybody's worshiping their god. we got to do something. Pray to your god. Get your little idols out. And they're looking around, and they notice something's happening. The storm is raging, but there's a man sleeping, and he's in the bottom of the ship, and he has no care in the world to what's going on, and it's Jonah. And so we see Jonah is really comfortable with the situation. Carnal Christians are those that rest in the midst of their sin. They're so used to their sin that they can get comfortable enough to continue in it without any conviction and any concern. You've become passive. That's carnality. And when you rebel against God and you get involved in sin before you know it, you are so carnal and so hard, you've become comfortable in the lifestyle of your sin to the point you're like Jonah, you're sleeping in it. See, man, carnality is selfish. It's, it's self-consumed. It's no longer concerned about those around them. It's no longer concerned about how it's going to hurt others. And the sailors here are in fear because of the carnality and the sin that was in Jonah's life. Everybody else is getting affected by it. We'll say more about that in just a minute. But not only that, the city of Nineveh is in jeopardy. It's going to be destroyed. But here's this man so caught up in his sin and his rebellion. He is so carnal, he's sleeping it away. And then the consequences move in. And you see that in verse 6. So the shipmaster, which is the captain of the ship, goes down to the center of the ship. And he goes to Jonah and he asks him to wake up. Wake up. Don't you see what's taking place? We're all going to die. And you're sleeping. What's wrong with you, old sleeper? Get up. Pray to your God. All of us are praying. And here he is going to the preacher. Now, this is funny to me, and it should be funny to you, that a, a, a rebel, I'm speaking of the sailors, they're pagans, are pleading with the preacher to intervene and do something. And the reason why the preacher ain't doing anything is because the preacher is so comfortable in his carnality, he's settled in, and ain't nothing in him that wants to pray. Nothing. Now, you guys can pray, but he ain't got no desire to pray. And so you begin to see these consequences to begin to unfold. Sometimes our storms in life come from a loving God 
the consequences of God intervening. And we're so busy blaming. Are you all still with me? Blaming Satan when it's always been God. You're looking around saying, man, I, I'm just my finances are a train wreck. Your finances may not be a train wreck because of Satan. I don't believe it's spiritual warfare at times. Sometimes it's just because we're goofy people and we make stupid decisions. And we put ourselves and our pleasures and our ideas before God. And we are so consumed with that mentality and we're so carnal-minded that we don't realize there's consequences for that. Y'all follow me? And then we're like, Satan is raging. That old, that old serpent, he's on me. He's on me. No, he's not. Wake up. You did this yourself. You did this. You chose to go on that trip or buy that car or buy that boat or buy that strange little scooter that you thought was going to be so profound to save gas to go from point A to point B and you realize it wasn't going to work. You know, because you got caught up in your moment of just cluelessness. And then we see the consequences. Now watch. <laughs> the sailors had enough and so they make a decision. They say to Jonah, you've got to call on your God. We're calling on our God and something's got to happen. And in just a moment, we see them make a decision that costs them a lot. The Bible says they begin to take all of the supplies on the ship and throw them overboard. Let me just remind you, if you're in a state of rebellion and you're living in carnality, the consequences are not just going to affect you. They're going to affect those around you. It's going to cost you, and it cost him. By the way, before he got on the ship, he paid for the ship's ticket. You remember that. The Bible says that he paid to go on the ship. He didn't, pay, he didn't have to pay anything if he was going to do the work of God. God usually pays it forward to you. And the reality is, is too often we don't realize what it's costing us to be in the state of rebellion. And so here the people are, and they're unloading the ship. It's going to cost them, hey, they have 2,500 miles to go, and they're going there to unload and make money off of the cargo that's on the ship, and now they just threw it overboard. Why? Because of one man's decision to run from the will of God, to do as he pleased, to live in a state of carnality, and the consequences are now spreading to those on the ship. So in verse 8, they had enough. we got to know what's going on with you. So they ask him four questions. First, they ask him, what's your occupation? What, what do you do? What kind of guy are you? Because you stand out amongst all of us as different. We want to know where you come from, what's your country, and what's your people. Who are you? And so Jonah makes a decision to get religious for a moment. He says, I am a Hebrew, and I serve the God that created the land and the sea, and I'm running from that God right now. And the men are thinking, you mean to tell me you're aware of the fact that you're running from the very God that created the sea that we're in? You're running from him. Do you think that's a good idea? And then they ask this profound question. Why? Why? Why did you do this? Why did you do this to us? You ever been in a relationship and they made a bad decision and you're saying, do you realize what your decision did to the rest of the family? Why? Why? I can't even count how many times I've asked that question. Why? Why? Do you not realize what you've done is messing everything up? And so Jonah spills it all. And, and the Bible says in verse 9, he explains everything. So he spills it. Let's just sum this chapter up, all right? In verse 9, he spills it. In verse 10, they ask, why did you do it? And then you see in verse 11, they ask the question, what are we going to do because of it? And then you go a little further and he says how to fix it. And the way to fix it is throw me overboard. Throw me in the water. Now you think, what a man. What a man of God to sacrifice for them other men. Maybe he just wanted to die. 
He hated Nineveh so much, he'd rather die than go to Nineveh. So I think it was more selfish than anything. So he says how to fix it. And of course, these men, even though they're sailors and they have a mentality to do whatever it takes to get things done and they're pagans, they just didn't want to do it. So in verse 13, they said, we can't do it. And then you see in verse 14, they ask God if they should do it. And then in verse 15, they do it. And then in verse 16, they praise God for it, which is really weird. And then in verse 17, the fish finishes it. And then pretty much that's the sum of it. But don't get too excited because that's not the end of it. Because we go into chapter 2. Is everybody still with me? So here they are. They've made the decision. We're going to throw you overboard. We already know that you're the problem. You said to throw you overboard. They try to get to shore, but they couldn't get to shore because God is trying to work through the storm. Let me tell you something. You can go to your counselor. You can rely on your pills. You can rely on your friends. But if you're running from the will of God, doing it your way, you can get as much counsel as you possibly can. But it's like the sailors trying to get to shore. God's going to finish his work, try to get your attention until you listen. I don't know what God's doing in your life to get your attention, but you better listen because the storm might be God's decision, not your decision. So Jonah's starting to reflect. So which brings us to this second chapter in chapter 2 in verse 1. Jonah prayed, finally. You say, well, thank God. The only reason he prayed is because he was in the belly of a whale. He didn't pray when he was on the ship. He didn't pray and ask God, Lord, can you intervene and make this work out differently so I don't have to go to Nineveh? There was no discussion. There was just rebellion. But in chapter 2 and verse 1, now he's in the belly of a fish, and he begins to pray. And he says, in cries for the reason of his inflictions and all the things that he was going through. Think how far God went to get uh, the attention of this man. But it's also amazing how far this guy had to go in order for him to pay attention and start to pray. So here he is in, in the belly of a whale. And I, and I believe what's so profound about this is not the fact that he got swallowed by a whale, but the, that the whale itself obeyed the voice of God when the very prophet wasn't willing to do it. And so here he is in this very profound situation. And notice with me, as he begins to pray, it's not because of his actions. He's praying because of him feeling sorry about his affliction. And this is the reason that he didn't really repent, though I've heard some really profound preachers said that this is the moment he repented. True repentance means you got true change, and there was really no change. So here he is in this situation, and he begins to reflect. We see Jonah's reflection. He's reflecting on where he was, where his, he's physically and spiritually where he was. And so in verse 3, he says, to God, you cast me into the deep, in the midst of the sea, and the floods can pass about me, and all these billows and the waves, they passed over me, and he's saying, I got seaweed around my neck, and everything's going wrong, and then he says in verse 4, I'm cast out of thy sight. I'm so far away from you, God. I feel like you are no longer my God. Now watch this. He was in a dark place, and let me tell you something. When you're in rebellion against your parents, when you're in rebellion against God, when you're in rebellion against your spouse, that sounds funny, don't it? But we're in this together, and we should be in, of one mind. You will find yourself in a very lonely, dark place as well. Nothing good comes out of that. And sometimes when we're in rebellion against God, we also feel like God is no longer there for us. We're so far from him. And he said, you've forsaken me. Well, he's talking to God while he's, saying, while he's saying this. He had to realize that God was present, but he just felt 
like he was no longer God's chosen. Have you ever been there? You got so rebellious against God that you just feel like I am no longer one of God's. And let me tell you something. He'll never leave you or forsake you. And as a believer, you don't lose your salvation, but you can feel like you did. And it's a horrible, awful feeling. So he begins to reflect on where he is and, who, and where he was. And then he reflected on who God was. And he focuses on that. And, and, and so in Jonah chapter 2 and verse 6 and 7, he said, I was at the bottom of the mountains, which is incredible to think that, that he, he was experiencing something that is so profound none of us ever experienced in our life. But again, I don't believe that's the most profound Thing that's happening that he was in the belly of a whale this has happened before I know this seems really strange but in the 1800s there was a couple of sailors that were out at sea and they were trying to uh, they to kill a whale a sperm whale and in the process of trying to kill the whale the whale flipped the ship one of the sailors drowned the other sailor disappeared and they had a, a harpoon that was lodged in the side of this whale a couple of days later, some sailors found this whale, captured it, uh, finished killing the whale, cut it open, and found this man inside of the whale who was unconscious. And he was unconscious for two days, but he lived. So it's not that it's profound to me that a man was swallowed by a whale and he survived. What's profound to me is that God literally spoke to the whale, told him what to do and how to do it to finish the will of God. Let me tell you something. Let me remind you, even in rebellion, God can still use you. He still can use you. So, well, how is God going to use me? He'll use whoever he wants to use, but he uses us in a better way and blesses us when we're not in rebellion. God's used a donkey. He's used birds. He's used all sorts of things, including the whale and a fish. I think God can do his job just fine. And it doesn't matter if we're in a state of rebellion, but the point is simply this. We never want to get to that point because when we are used by God in the state of rebellion, it never goes well for us. So the Bible says in Jonah chapter 2, verse 6 and 7, as we look in verse 7, my soul fainted within me and I remembered the Lord. He reflected on who God was and he remembered the commitment he made to God as a prophet. He realized that the most important thing he could ever do is give God praise and do his will. And at that moment, everything changes. Everything changes. I was watching, I don't know why I've been doing this because I'm going to Florida next week, but I've been watching all these documentaries on shark attacks and it's freaking me out. Have y'all noticed the sharks have gone crazy down in Florida? My luck, one's going to get me next week. Let's just hope that don't happen. But I was, I was watching one, and, and there was uh, a man. It wasn't a shark. It was a sperm whale, kind of like the situation with Jonah. And the whale accidentally swallowed him. And he was in the mouth of the whale, and he was in there for a long period of time. And he said, I just didn't know if I was going to be in there for longer than the period of time my oxygen tank would have, and if this whale would dive deep, and if he dies deep, even if I got out of the mouth of the whale, I'm not going to make it to, to, to the top of the water. And so he finally got out because the whale realized this doesn't taste good. I can't swallow this, so I'm going to spew it out. And so the guy on the ship said, I watched him launch out of the water out of this whale's mouth. And I can't help but think what happened when Jonah finally got through or God got through to Jonah and Jonah understood and remembered what he was called to do. And all of a sudden, 
God, in whatever way he did, spoke to the whale. I don't know how that happened. And then the whale spewed him out on dry land. Now, what's so important about that? Some believe he went back to Joppa and dropped him off. I don't believe that happened. And this is the reason I don't believe it happened. I believe the whale went all the way to Nineveh and dropped him off. And I'll tell you why. Because he was in the belly of the whale for three days. I don't think that whale is just hanging out going, man, this, is, this feels great. Having this big, fat guy in my gut. Because they don't eat fish bigger than three to two feet. And so to have this big of a person in him, he wanted to get it out. But he was willing, imagine this, to do the will of God regardless of how awkward and uncomfortable it was. But Jonah wasn't willing to do it. He would rather go 2,500 miles out of route. But the whale endured and goes all the way to Nineveh and spews him out. Now, all of that is part of God's design of how to reach Nineveh. And I'm going to tell you next week how it all worked together. That the very thing that happened in the belly of that whale transformed him physically in such a way that could have been so profound that the people were willing not just to listen to the message, but to listen to the man that didn't look like a man anymore. And we'll talk about that next week. But let me finish with this. The Bible says at the end of chapter 2, and the Lord spoke unto the fish, and he vomited Jonah out on dry land. I want you to remember that before things get better, some things, sometimes things got to get nasty. Sometimes you've got to go some, through some things. And I've said this so many times. You've got to go through some things before you learn some things. I do not know where you're at in your journey. But if you're like Jonah and you're in rebellion against God, God will do whatever it takes to get your attention and it doesn't matter how carnal you are or where you're at. If you're a child of God, he's not done with you. And the consequences are not going to be pleasant. They're not going to feel good. They're not going to, they're not going to look good. But in the end, it will be good for you. And it's going to be messy. But when it's done, you'll be better for it. Because the reality is, and through all of that, Jonah's reflection was on the fact of where he was and who God was. And in the end, God brought it all together for a reason. 